Trojansports.com podcast. We're coming to you a day later than normal, but with good reason. There's been a lot happening uh, around the program in the last day or so, so this will be a little more topical than it would have been otherwise. Uh, I am still in beautiful Utah. I'm in Orem, Utah. I was visiting with USC wide receiver commit Puka Nakua uh, in the beautiful foothills of the white snow-capped mountains out here. Adam's back in Los Angeles. I will be back tonight, but we don't want to wait any longer to talk about all the news that's happened. Um, I do want to mention one thing, though. Our promo, free 60-day trial, still ongoing. If you sign up now, you get the full 60-day free trial, promo code USC60. And I know what you're asking. You're asking, well, the team's struggling. Why do I want to join now? Well, this is the perfect time to join because if you were a member, you would have seen Adam's column Sunday where he had an exclusive conversation with athletic director Lynn Swan. Everyone in the fan base wants to know what Lynn Swan's thinking. Uh, only we had that. We had his answers. Adam talked to him Saturday night. Uh, also, just this very morning, Adam reported that JT Daniels is through the first, through the initial concussion protocol and uh, likely on track to play. So this is the kind of news and uh, insight that you're getting as a premium member, which you can't right now promo code usc60 with that adam how are you i'm good ryan i mean you're uh you're showering me with compliments but you are in utah still for a reason not because you were uh, jumping a bandwagon and going to cover the utes now you, you were in utah to cover recruiting and that's the kind of dedication and commitment that we make and Ryan has been doing this pretty much on nearly every road trip now, trying to hit, you know, a, a target or a commit uh, and, and prospects that USC is recruiting. And that's uh, kind of the full-service operation that we run at Trojan Sports. Absolutely. And I definitely encourage everyone to read the story Tuesday morning about Puka. Uh, I think you'll find it very interesting. He's, his top two schools are USC and Utah, and he was at that game Saturday. So if you want to hear his thoughts about what he saw and what he thinks in the aftermath of that, uh, we'll have it for you Tuesday morning. Subscribe, use the promo code, join in. And that, that promo is about to end, right? It, we have what, another nine days? Yeah, at any time the rest of this month of October, you can sign up and still get the full 60 days. But you have to sign up before the month ends. Okay, thank you. All right, let's talk football. Let's talk it. But you know what? Uh, Let's talk. Let's talk Lynn Swan because, okay. uh, as I teased in that promo, I mean he's really the guy that everybody wants to hear from right now. Everyone is wondering what is Lynn Swan thinking, watching the direction of this program, watching a game like Saturday, uh, the forty-one twenty-eight loss at Utah, and just kind of take us through your conversation, where you got him, and what your takeaways were from that exchange. Sure, uh, it was definitely brief. And we were uh, making our way to the field uh, in the final minutes of USC's loss to Utah. And I just plainly asked him what he thought about what he was seeing. And, and that's when he told me flatly that a lot needs to be corrected. And again, he's not someone that's really doing a lot of interviews and talking much and, and putting a lot out there. 
but uh, he was kind enough to to share that thought with me. And uh, I mean, that's become more and more evident, obviously, during this season, that there's a lot that is potentially deep-rooted, not just we're having a bad week or a bad couple weeks, or, you know, we had this one devastating injury that's derailed our season. Uh, the season's been kind of off track from the jump, really, looking back. And, and, and now that we have the benefit of, of hindsight, you can see that they really have not been a good team at any point. Maybe a lot of potential, but they haven't played good football for a while. And that's something that we saw even going back to last year when they did have a superstar quarterback and other star players around him. And so I think when Swan, too, is realizing himself that there are uh, bigger issues than he might have anticipated when the season began. And therefore, the biggest question right now concerns Clay Helton and, and what his status is. And again, it's a question that Swan very well could have brushed aside or offered no comment. That's not what he chose to do. Um, and to my surprise, he was insistent that Clay Helton is not in the hot seat. And it's a point that he made more than once. The second time he did it, really unprompted by me. He went back to that. Even though I asked him a different question, he came back to tell me, we're not making a change with the head coach. And my line of questioning was more about, not like they were going to do anything right now in the middle of October, but after the season, what does this look like? And I asked him about both Helkin and about the assistant coaches, which many believe um, have to go. You know, Clay, Clay, I think a lot of people, he built up some equity where if he were to make certain changes, I think he can win a lot of people back. I think people get excited about this program as early as next season with a different offensive coordinator and maybe a couple other assistant coach changes. But if he's not going to do that, then I think... We're just going to see a lot of the same thing, the same product that we're seeing now. And I think you're going to see a, a more pressure being put not only on Clay, but the entire athletic department. I don't think you can run this back, personally. And that's why it was surprising to me to hear Lynn Swan tell me that not only is Clay safe, but... He's not going to be enforcing any kind of changes with the staff, which tells me that if that's going to happen, it's going to have to come from Clay. But I would expect, barring a complete collapse for the rest of the season, Clay to be back as the head coach. And it's really the onus will be on him to, of course, win, but also to make any changes uh, that, that he sees fit with the staff. Yeah, or, or certainly it's possible that, that Lynn Swan uh, feels differently when the season's over in terms of the assistant coaches and maybe uh, asserting some, some pressure on changes or or he just felt it was not the time to acknowledge that because I agree with you, the thought of running this back as is, the, there's nothing there's nothing to cling to this to think it'd be any different next year. I mean, aside from JT being a year older, which could certainly uh, help some things with the offense, there's there's no, nothing else really to look at and say, well, yeah, 
mine is going to be different next year. And what we've seen so far, you know, I, you and I both picked Utah to win this game, but I was still surprised because it wasn't even much of a game. Even with a 14-point head start, they give up 34 straight points and they're out of it early in the second half. And in their three biggest games now this year, they were thoroughly outplayed by Stanford and they were absolutely run off the field by Texas and Utah. And and that's where this program's at. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. You, you, can't, you can't couch that. You can't explain it any other way other than to say that's where this program is. They are not ready to compete with their toughest opponents. Right. I mean, those are hard games. They were all on the road. It's not that everyone, I think, thinks that USC should just run the table here or the fact that they that they haven't, that you have to blow it up. It's the way that they're losing. Where yeah. They're just not competitive in a lot of these road games. And that's been the case really throughout Clay Hilton's tenure. Aside from winning at Washington, uh, He's lost every time as an underdog, and they've all been on the road, and the majority of them have been by double digits. So those are the games that, at the end of the day, if you're ever going to win a national title, you have to win games like that. You have to win your conference title game, then you have to go win a Final Four, which would be two games versus two of the four best teams in the country. And USC hasn't come close to approaching uh, a competitive football team in those uh, situations outside of, you could say, the Rose Bowl, which is now two years ago. Yeah, and you're talking about an almost or approximately 300-yard differential in yardage Saturday. I don't have it in front of me right now, but uh, it just it was just... That's as, that's as one side as you can possibly get. And the most concerning thing to me, again, is it seems like every week now there's an explanation from either Clay or from T. Martin as to why the offense didn't work. Cover and normally, two. <laughs> Cover two. Right. And, and normally it's, well, the other team did this, therefore we couldn't function. And, like, you know, I'm not even sure that's a good excuse once, but when it's every week, it, it's really just them delivering an indictment on themselves. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you spend all week talking publicly, your, your offensive staff talking publicly about how we're going to face cover one and it's going to be this and this and this. And you're totally shocked when a well-coached team in Utah decides to give you a different look. And then on top of that, you have you can't adjust mid-game, and that's been the case all season. I mean, you know, single out one impactful mid-game adjustment we've seen this year and and i can't think of one and the re- and that's the reason why when things go bad they entirely fall apart the washington state game is the only game where there was any real fight back uh or, or recovery when things started to slide uh, otherwise things go bad and it's just it's just over it's just done yeah I don't know about you. You and I didn't talk about it. I had this conversation with Yogi Roth on our Ask the Expert podcast last Friday, but I fully expected them to utilize cover two because of the fact that they've been in cover one and they load the box and sell out to the run game. But I figure two things. One, USC has a anywhere from decent to good to sometimes great downfield passing game. And it's hard to to defend that with cover one. The other thing was that their run game, USC's run game is so bad that Utah probably wouldn't even need to be one high to defend it. 
they could probably go to cover two and kick a guy yep. out of the box, put him in yep. the secondary. They're going to try it. Now that's what the game will come down to, whether they're able to accomplish it. But, again, this is a point that I raised to Yogi, that I'm expecting them to defend them and cover two because USC's run game sucks. And their downfield passing game has been good more often than not. So why would they expect that? Like, what, how can I have this insight and them, and them not? That, that, yep. just, that blows my mind that they wouldn't have expected that. Now, I would think that they could beat it, though. Now, that's where I figured, okay, they'll prepare for a cover two, and then they'll beat it, and then they got to prepare for you know, the plan B when Utah goes to, to one high. Then, then what are you going to do? Then what are you able to do when they make their adjustment? Utah didn't have to adjust anything. USC had their one explosive play early in the first quarter, and from there on, literally did nothing. And and while we were aware of it in the moment, when I went back and, and kind of had to uh, go through the numbers, the, the most shocking number, I think, for the whole season will be USC had five first downs up until their final drive of the entire game. They, they only had five total for three and a half quarters leading yep. up to their final drive. And they actually matched that in the final drive. They had five first downs on that drive. So for the game, they had 10, which in the last 19 years, that's the lowest that they've had. They, only one other game do they have 10, which was the Sun Bowl, Georgia Tech. Sorry to remind you guys of that. But that's the only other game in the last 19 years where they just had 10 first downs. This game, they only got the other five because it was garbage time on the final drive versus the Utah bench. They had five first downs for three and a half quarters. Five! I can't get over it. Yeah, and, and they had six three and outs and two interceptions and another drive with five plays and a punt. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think the defense is absolved from criticism from this game in any, any means. Uh, Clancy Pendergast and, and Clay were, were both pretty uh, plain in their words. That the, the tackling was just abysmal, and uh, and they really didn't make the plays that they've been making in previous games even. But to compound that, when your defense is getting uh, 45 seconds or a minute break between series or whatever it is right. on average – that's, that's just that's an impossible task to ask any unit. Yeah, they're going to have a hard time. We've we kind of seen it throughout the year. They're going to have a hard time on, de- on defense playing four quarters. That's what happened versus Arizona. That's what happened versus Colorado. Um, they were fortunate that with Washington State that uh, while they did play better, they also got Port Augustine in that second half and made a huge difference that they were able to disrupt the flow of that passing game and uh, get to the quarterback. And that's what the change they were able to make in that half of football. Without Porter, they're not winning that game. But the defense gets worn out. And that's going to be because of the offense. But I'm not going to defend the defense in this game. It was their worst game of the season. They gave up over 540 yards. Uh, just and basically across the board, they were at their worst in this game. But a bad offense will bring out the worst you know, in a defense. So they, they obviously compounded the issue offensively. Yeah, let's let's talk the quarterbacks for a second. I want to hit on two points, and I thought what I, what I found to be the most revealing comment from T. Martin. Uh, so JT Daniels goes 6 of 16 for 89 yards, one touchdown, two picks, and essentially three quarters before getting knocked out. Uh, clearly his worst game yet. 
you and I are talking in the press box. You're tweeting it out that it seems like every third down, everyone in the entire Pac-12 knows he's looking for Amon Ra across the middle. And th- those plays are no longer open anymore. So T was asked about that. And as we know, T can be pretty candid in his comments and isn't always uh, limited to coach speak. And he essentially said, well, it's not like that. The play's not called just for that. There's a progression and there's options. And so you kind of got the sense that he, he was intimating that that's just JT kind of falling on his on his comfort blanket there and I'm on raw and not necessarily that that's all they're calling but the bigger comment from T as we're talking about JT he goes he kind of reiterated that you know we're still at the working through progression space with him like this is not a finished product we're still at the point I'm trying to get him to go through all his reads and learn how to go through his progressions and I thought that was maybe the most uh plain assessment that we've gotten yet of where the coaching staff thinks that JT Daniels is through seven games. And you know what? It's totally fair. It is seven games. Now, what probably isn't fair to that offense is that he would skip his progression and go to Amon Ross St. Brown on every third down. He has no problem doing that. But on a down-in, down-out basis, the fact that that first three becomes so vital for him that's understandable. That's expected for a true freshman quarterback. But because of the rhetoric that was being used with JT from many others uh, in the media, then I think it became predestined almost that he was going to be a legend right away. I mean, people were saying that it would be an upgrade at quarterback from Sam Darnold. And what I see in this offense is that because you do not have this one player, Sam Darnold, the offense is pretty terrible. Because last year, it often wasn't good. There were, there were long stretches in games, in wins, where the offense was not good with that quarterback. So of course it's not going to be good without him. Of course there's going to be a drop-off. And, and that's where I look at coaching. You, there's only so much that you're going to be able to give a true freshman quarterback. And right now, they don't have a 25-carry running back. They have a nice committee. I think the backs are fine. They're talented. But they don't have a single workhorse that, no matter what, they can go to and they can expect three yards to carry. And and often more than that. You want more than three. But that you can get three minimum over the course of 25 carries that will promise you, you know, 80 rushing yards. They don't even get to 80 most games. Yeah. I I, I don't personally know what the answer is for the rushing attack. I I think it might be hard for those guys. Everything's hard. That's the thing. One of our readers brought up a good point today, uh, Monday afternoon, where... Look, they're not run first, and it, they're, they're sometimes they can't run at all, but they're not a great passing team either. So then what are they? Like, they have zero identity right now. No, no, no. no. Yeah, there's none, but I'm saying, and I think they and where have... Where are you getting identity from, Ryan? Where are you getting identity from? No, there's... there's oh, oh from, yeah, from running the ball, from establishing the run. No, 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 I'm the... saying, like, in offense, just, if, you're, if you're building it from stretch, right, and... Uh, let's just say you even have average talent at every spot. Now, USC is above average talent at most spots. 
but and, and we haven't even really brought up the offensive line here. But it, let's just say you have average talent at every spot, at, from quarterback to every guy on the line to all your skill positions. Let's say they're all average. None of them are great. None of them are really bad. They're all average. Where does an identity come from? Uh, for me, it would be being physical and trying to establish myself on the ground first. No, but you might not be able to do that with your average talent. See, well, tell us the answer see, then. See, you're, you're assuming that everyone can run the ball well. But not everyone in the country can run the ball well. But you get an identity from your coaching. That's where offensive identity comes from. Before it can be one thing or the other. Because, like, Wazoo has an identity. And it's not the identity that you're prescribing right now. Now, USC should be able to run the ball. But I'm just saying, from a baseline standpoint of talent, your identity has to come from your coaching. And it's not. That's their problem. Right. right. I, but assessing these these players, where this offense is built, its limitations, this team has to have a consistent rushing presence to take the pressure off JT and to have those downfield shots play off that rushing presence. And, but it's and, not going to. Like, like, you're you're that's right. Fine. But like that's right fine. now, mid-October, that's not going to happen. And therefore, you need a coordinator and you need offensive coaches that can craft an offense with what they got. So if their offensive line doesn't play to the to the standard that they need, um, or you know, they're I mean, again, it's not really the backs, but if if you don't have that back, that you know, if you don't have Ezekiel Elliott, okay, like they don't have Ezekiel Elliott in that backfield, right? I'm just throwing out a guy, okay. So you don't have that back, and you don't have this all-world offensive line, which neither does Washington State. I'm going to keep going back to them. But they have an offense. There's no offense here. That's the problem. I don't disagree with you, but I do not think you can just say, well, we're not going to be able to run the ball, so what else can we do? I, I don't think you can totally abandon that, not with the way this offense is structured, not with JT. You've got to you've got to figure that out. Saying it's work is not a solution. Well, Washington and, State and, runs the ball. They don't run it that well, but they do run the ball. They don't They don't punt on running the ball. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all, Ryan. I'm saying that they need to go figure out an offense. They need to find yeah, an offense. I'm not talking about Washington State. I'm talking about when I said they need to have an identity running the ball. Yeah. And, you, and you say, well, that's not going to happen. I'm saying that that's not the right answer. That's not a solution. They've got to find a way to make that happen. So you think they have to run first then? They have to run yeah. more than they throw. They have, they have to have a presence they can rely back on. Yeah, but I'm asking you, you think that what your identity, your prescription is to run first? I don't think they have to have necessarily one more carry than they have pass attempt. Huh. They have to have a a presence on the ground that they can use. They yeah, can't every, I mean, that, that's, it's, that's it's so generic, working. though. Everyone needs that, right? Like, but most everyone needs that. Like, No team wins just only doing one single thing. Exactly. Right, so that's a very generic answer. I'm asking you what That's a pretty exactly baseline point that I think the they, they got to figure out. Yeah. But what exactly do they need most? And you're saying that they have to figure out the run game most? That's their biggest problem? Yes, because it's non-existent right now. It's absolutely non-existent. And it's there versus Arizona. Great. Arizona's a bad defense. Right. That's my point. That was a sham. Right? That, was, that, that she wasn't really there. It just looked like it could have been there. 
and they probably think it, it's there because of a game like that. But there are, te- there are teams with less talent. There are teams with less talent that also have offensive line issues. Right. That, that still manage to, to run the ball. Right. So why do they do that? Why do you think they're able to accomplish that? Because they want yeah. to run the ball, or because they have an offense. Obviously, coaching is the root of this issue. That's what we're talking about. Right. There's no disagreement here. But they can't just say, it's not working, we can't do it, we're moving on. No, they need to go find an offense. I didn't say move on. I didn't say don't run the ball. I said go find an offense. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you, Adam. I'm arguing with the the, the, the play calling. Well, they, the didn't give up, the they didn't give up running the ball. They ran in that game in terms of trying to run. They didn't run well. They ran crappy, but they did try to run. They had, they had 29 rushing attempts. I have to think it's probably hard for these running backs to get into a rhythm when they don't get consistent carries. They don't get a chance to get in any flow. Vi had 10 carries the whole game. He actually averaged 4.4 yards per carry. It's 10 carries, but they're not. it's not like 10 carries in a row. It's spread out. Carr got 12. I I have to imagine that's pretty, probably hard for that position when you're you're put in, pulled out, put in, pulled out. Well, they're yeah, I, except they didn't have a three-back rotation. I think Cedric Ware didn't even have a carry. So the rotation already shrunk in this game. It, it's not a, a matter of rhythm. No one can have a rhythm when the offensive line isn't playing well or when the offense isn't good and the defense is beating the offense. It, it's not like they don't know how to run uh, whenever they're called upon to run. You know, they, they, We saw this versus Arizona where they got into a rhythm just regardless of how many carries they got. They just got into a rhythm. I guess a bad defense. That's it's not a right. tell. The offense is able to beat the defense. But this offense can't beat many defenses, as we're learning. It's not drawn up very well. That's the answer to everything here. That's my point. It's not the running backs. It's not even the offensive line. It's not JT. It ain't the receivers. It's the offense on paper. I don't think you're. I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you across the board. Fan base, myself, it's pretty plain to see. Pretty plain to see. So let me go back to the quarterbacks though and ask you a question. Yeah. So uh, Matt Fink comes in, finishes the game, six of seven, forty-three yards, a touchdown, leads another touchdown drive that Vi scores on. Uh, Fink is out this week with broken ribs, so he's not an option. But there seem to be a vocal segment of fans that want to see either Fink or Sears get a chance at this offense. Uh, even as bad as JT played last game, and I know that I've been very high on him all season, so this won't surprise anybody, I still think he's clearly the best option. Has I don't even want to have this conversation. Yeah, he, he's definitely their best quarterback. We know that uh, a lot of people are going to clamor for the backup quarterback. Uh, like they like they clamor for a different pitcher. Um, that's very common. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, there's a reason why JT was able to come here and just win this quarterback competition uh, with, without any any fight. There was no threat. It was clear from the first hour of the first practice that he was their best quarterback. This offense is so dysfunctional that he looks bad in it like anybody will. Sam Darnold looked bad in this offense a lot of the times last year. That's why people thought JT would come and be an upgrade. Everybody looks bad in this offense. 
basically. Now, two years ago, uh, no one had a book on Sam, and therefore, I think he was able to surprise a lot of people. But uh, at the end of the day, the longer that he would have remained in this offense, if so he would have come back and played this year, he would have looked worse. He would have had a worse year uh, this season than he did last season because this offense is terrible. That pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, Fink, uh, really happy for him that he got the opportunity. He played against Utah's you know, third string in the final minute of a 25-point game. Uh, a lot of people are reading into it, and they shouldn't because uh, he was all over the place in terms of you know running out of the pocket. He cannot play within the pocket. He's just not there yet. And it, it, it can be fun to watch, but uh, that is not going to be the the approach that they're going to take with you know, with the offense, where you just yeah. have him freestyling and and not even you know, executing the play. Yeah, and just to reiterate, you know, there's a pretty real disparity we see on the practice field between the quarterbacks, and one of the main uh, pluses people were touting with from Fink's uh, fourth quarter there was m- m- mobility. One of my major qualms with Fink's style of play is what you just said, is that he's always on the run. He's never comfortable in the pocket. He is always, at first, the first opportunity, taking off and on the move. There's even times in, in warm-ups when they're just throwing around where he's throwing on the run, just warming up. He's just clearly more comfortable throwing on the run. And I don't know that that's uh, easy to build an offense around necessarily. But also, as we talked about, the only thing that has worked in this offense this season, not entirely consistently, but more than anything else, is the downfield passing game. Yeah. And you lose that, I think, if JT's not in there. I'm not saying that that's enough to build a, a good offense around, but that is right now the only thing that is a remote positive in this offense. Yeah. And and you got to have JT in there for that to, to work. Well, yeah, that's not things 4K. And in the... You look at how he got hurt, and, and that's what happens when you play quarterback the way that he does. And I thought he was very courageous, and I would agree that it was exciting. He did complete six of seven passes, and when you look at the box score, it looks kind of uh, an indictment on JT, who only completed six of 16, but Fink was just jumping off. You know, with six completions, he ended up with 43 yards. Uh, it, was, it was very basic. Uh, again, it's just not sustainable. Um, that's not going to be a very uh, efficient offense moving forward. But also, he got hurt because he didn't, he didn't slide. You know, he, he just jumped and, and got smashed and, and broke his ribs. And uh, a lot tougher than I am. So I want to make that clear. I'm not trying to disparage him. But I can tell you right now that that is not what you want to try to build a winning team around, just that style of play from your quarterback. Now, in terms of pocket presence, I was very curious at the prospect of watching Jack Sears, who I thought played really well in training camp for a portion of it, but faded later, and it did become evident that that JT had won that job, and and therefore, I, you know, I don't know. And I, I kind of, I actually assumed that Jack Sears would have transferred before the season began. He elected not to do that. 
Um, it's not official that he's going to leave at the end of the season, even though I, I, would, I would still guess that he would, but uh, he has not made that clear publicly. But with Jack Sears, he does like to throw the, the ball downfield. He does like to work deep, and he does have the arm to do it. The one thing that he had been missing uh, throughout his time in whatever competition that he was in, according to his coaches, they said that he just not grasped all the offense. That he still wasn't reading things as quick as he needed to. And if you remember, he was getting sacked a lot. In any, in any type of scrimmage situation, that was a constant problem. That he just was under pressure. And while he is a more mobile guy than JT, and he can improvise, uh, he also was kind of having to, to live on his feet, and it was very hard for him. And therefore, uh, the passing game was not efficient at all in those scrimmage settings because I yeah. guess he just did not have a good enough handle on the offense at that point. Now, this was you know August. It was two months ago. I, I couldn't really tell you where he's at right now because you know the nature of, of his reps are entirely different than they were at that point. But this week, he will begin the week as the first-team quarterback. Uh, as I reported earlier, J.T. Daniels has passed the initial stages of the concussion protocol, and my sources tell me that he's expected to play Saturday. At the same time, uh, that still is not official. He has to be cleared, and until then, Jack Sears will be lined up to, to play, and he'll get these first-team reps that he hasn't gotten. And so I do think, given how mediocre the offense has been now for the majority of the year, it would behoove the coaches to look closely at what Jack Sears is doing with these first-team reps and at least consider, even if JT's cleared, to play Jack Sears if they like the way that he's working with the offense. At the very least, give him that. Bold. Bold take. Wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. No, you wouldn't play Jack at all? No, I, I think the disparity was determined between the two of them in the preseason, and I don't know what would have changed between now and then. Well, that's JT's had, right? Like, that, like yeah. Yeah, but, and, he, and he's not practice. getting those reps. He's not, he's, he's, not getting, he's not getting that same attention that he right. was getting in you August. Right, you them this week, and it's only a week, and he's supposed to prepare all year like you know, like a starter, like a starter would. Now that's coach speak. That that can happen when you're the third string quarterback, and so it will unquestionably be a challenge for Jack Sears to play this weekend. But what we don't know is how he would play. We don't know how he would play, and and if he practices well, I want to see him play because we do know how J.T. Daniels plays. And we do know his strengths and weaknesses. And one of them is mobility. And he doesn't have offensive line that affords him to just hang out in the pocket. And the reason why he got crushed this past weekend was his lack of mobility and holding on to the ball too long. It wasn't just that he was getting knocked over right off the snap. He was slow. He took a while. And, and, that's, and that's just something that with Jack Sears, while in practice that was an issue two months ago, if, if he shows that that's not an issue for him, at least in practice this week, then I, I want to see him play. I'm not saying that you have to start him over J.K. Daniels, but I just wouldn't be so committed to anything right now because 
they're not playing well enough to commit everything to anyone. But it sounds like you're, you're saying that from a curiosity standpoint, and these coaches, whether people care what happens the rest of the season or not, and I'm sure that some don't after, after this last game, to them, every game's a must-win in their eyes, and they're going to go with the guy they have the most confidence in. They weren't close to winning last week with the guy that you're saying has to play. I'm not saying they and weren't he was close. A part it, was, of that. It, it was clearly his worst game of the season. Right. He it was, was a, his worst game of the season of against the best defense he had faced. It was a bad game. I mean, there's no... He's had no a few bad games, though. That wasn't his first bad game. But he's also had a few good games. Yes. So it's not like he hasn't shown anything. Right. No, absolutely. They played seven games, and he's had a few bad games. I'm saying I don't think the, I don't. He hasn't had a game like that though. That that was clearly the worst game. That was on a different level than anything. I'm saying that the coaching staff. Stanford was is, really bad. Okay, I'm saying that the coaching staff. They scored three points it, versus Stanford. It was really bad. I saw it. I was there. Yeah. And at yeah. Texas, they scored 14 early, and then they, they did nothing. That shut out for three quarters. This offense is broken, and that's why the the most the most impactful player in an offense beyond the coaching, and that's why I started with them. It, it's about the coaching first, and about what they can figure out with what with their play design and their system. That's the number one problem, and it, really, I think it's actually the per, the people that are in the positions that they're in, and and I, I think that they're probably working to their max ability. I think that the ceiling is not high enough with the personnel on staff. That's the number one thing. But they're not firing the head coach. They're not firing the offensive coordinator, right? So the only thing they could do is rewrite some of that offense. And the next thing they could do, if you want to change, would be what's the most impactful position. Now, they could rewrite it for JT. They could try that. But if that's not working, then you might have to make a change of quarterback. If if I thought that JT and Jack Sears were neck and neck in August, then I would be totally on board with you. I'd say, yeah, you know what? See what the other guy can do. That's just not what I saw. Um, but let me let's play let's play uh, hypothetical here, and let's say you, you, you keep saying that they need an offense, they need an offense, they need an offense. So let's say you're in charge of building the offense. What do you do? What is your solution? You're building the game plan for this week. Yeah, that, that's what, a, what do you emphasize? That's a what do you do? question for me because I, I'm a journalist. I don't build offenses. Well, we're sitting here debating about what the team should do. Yeah, and and, and, you, and you seem very they need to in, change the in, in staunch disagreement with me, thinking that they need to continue to, to focus on trying to find a way to run the ball. And so I'm asking, if that's not the answer, what do you think is the answer? This is, you know, this is a podcast to discuss what's going wrong with the offense. Yeah. What would you do? What, I, what is your idea? I would, I would rewrite it. How? Give, give I, us a glimpse. I don't, I don't do that. I don't, that's not what I do. What, what would you do? I already told you, and you and you ran roughshod over me and totally dismissed it. <laughs> you, you just said that you would run more. Yes, I would be They, they ran 29 times last ball. week. They ran 29 times, and they only threw 23. They ran 22 with the running backs, and they had a guy in Vi who averaged 4.4 yards per carry without a really long run in that mix. The longest run was 12 they, yards. They ran three times with Bayless. I would just eliminate that play, I guess, if, that's, Abs- if, you, if you need my advice here. And Fink ran four times, because that's what he does. 
But at the end of the day, they ran 29 times. They threw 23. You're saying they need to run even more than that? More than that ratio? It's not about more or number. It's about running efficiently and successfully and finding a better way to sure. do that. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to run the ball better. I agree. You're right. Should, should I not have opinions here? Is that, that <laughs> no, we should do this? I, I don't know what the opinion is. Okay, well, I'll say it for the seventh time. They need to run the ball more effectively and find a way to do that. Well, that's not an opinion. I, you, that, that's just a fact. That's well, everyone, well, you're not, you're everyone not letting me finish the sentence here, so okay. it's kind of tough to get to the rest of it. You have a guy in by who averages 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, Stephen Carr is averaging 1.9. Carr is a home run hitter, as we know. Clearly, that the offensive line is not opening up massive lanes to hit home runs. I would maybe lean on by a little more and see if he can consistently turn there out we four go. yards carry. There we go, Ryan. I knew I'd get it out of you. All right, that's a good take. Well, it was there all along, if you let me finish my sentences. But, <laughs> okay. yeah, that's, that's where it was going. My apologies. So, make Vi the feature back. Now, you do that regardless of the health of Akacentric Ware? Um, I, I, would have, I would start with Vi, and if he's not doing it, give Ware a chance. But the point is, if, if one guy is getting more effective yards per carry, I would lean on him. I wouldn't worry about the rotation. I wouldn't worry about keeping uh, mouths fed. I would go with what's working and emphasize it and try and find a way to consistently get four yards or more per carry on the ground so you can move the offense other ways. Because their screen game isn't working very well. As you said, any any run plays designed for Bayless are just not going to work. It's, it's just too long to develop. It's, it's not a good play for them. And aside from the downfield passing stuff, JT doesn't really have a hugely operational uh passing game in the, in the mid-level right now. So I just think it is essential that they find a way to run the ball. And the most obvious answer to me is to give by a little more run, let him get into a rhythm. I just think that is a position that historically has been proven. When guys get more volume, they kind of build confidence. They they yeah. they, they, they feed off of knowing that they're going to be in there for three or four or five straight carries and they get a rhythm. Yeah. That's just the way I see it. You might be right about Vi. Uh, Cedric Ware has been their best running back this year, uh, as much as people want to fight that notion. And that's not what I expected to happen, but that's happened. And and yet Vi has been pretty productive with more limited work. Uh, I mean, there have been games where he just got, like, two carries, which is yeah. weird. It, it's weird, but you might be honest something. If, if, you know, start by, and if he's productive on a per-carry basis, then stay there, and don't worry. He's not going to get every carry. He's not getting 100% of the carries, but I think I understand what you're leaning toward, where you give him the bulk of the carries, give him, uh, you know, more than you would give, or as much as you would give the other two combined, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but make him the feature back, is what you're essentially saying. And, uh, and you might be right there. Uh, you made another point about JT, about not having an uh, intermediate game, and we've seen all the throws to the running backs behind the line of scrimmage, so I guess if, if I had a wrinkle, I would use them more as a, uh, a, a receiver. You know, they don't have to line up in a slot or anything, but what about a wheel route? You know, what about something a couple yards downfield? Uh, they are very natural pass catchers. Stephen Carr was excellent in that role last year, and they just stopped using it for whatever reason uh, this year. They just haven't used it really at all in that way. Uh, maybe J.K. doesn't look for it. That might go back to what Keith said about his progressions, but 
That's another thing that maybe you get from Jack Sears. We just don't know. We don't know what his tendencies will be, but if they're dramatically different than JT's, that might be a good thing for uh, for the offense because the defense isn't prepared for that. I feel like right now they're just so one-dimensional where everything is downfield, and now you just kick that away like Utah did with cover two, and they have no offense. If they can't throw downfield, they have nothing else. With Jack Sears, I don't know what they would have. I'm You're curious right. to find we, out. We, yeah, we, we don't know, and and I could certainly be entirely surprised and and proven totally wrong if he gets a chance to start and goes in there and plays well. I don't rule that out. I'm just saying, if you're asking what I think is more likely, I still think that more likely is JT's the, the better quarterback and the better option for this offense. I agree. But I agree. With I don't know. No, no. I, but know. I want to make that clear too. I agree with that. I'm saying that you need to rewrite it for JT right now. What you've written up is failing. It, it does not function properly. I rewrite it first, and if that doesn't yeah, work with him. Then I'm looking at, okay, well, what's the biggest change I could make? Uh, and not, not emotionally, I mean more like literally what, what's the one piece on this chessboard that if he's removed outside of the coaching that could change the way this whole thing functions? That's the quarterback. Because everything, everyone else rotates essentially. Receivers, running backs, um, you can shake up the offensive line. Uh, of course, I'm open to that, but... Um, I don't think that that is going to uh, you know, make everything. That's not going to make over the whole offense. Just bringing bringing a different right guard. I don't think that's going to solve all their problems. Yeah, I think the coaching staff just needs to look at things entirely differently. We're saying the same thing. We're yeah. saying a little bit differently, but we're saying the same thing. And when you listen to T after games, when we ask him, well, how concerning are you about the running game? He goes, well... It wasn't working, you know. So I tried. I tried the screen game, and he said that didn't not really much. Work. I asked him that question. He literally said not much. That, yeah, that, that tells that's you a lot about, about where they right. are. But whenever he's asked about the running game, family, he goes, "Well, well, I, I tried the screen game, and that didn't work." Well, because everyone knows that that's what you're going to go to next. Because this team is this office is predictable. Yeah. The patterns are there on tape. So totally reinvent the way you're thinking. And I don't think it's unrealistic to to ask or expect a, a coaching staff to put in new wrinkles over the course of a week. You don't need a, a full training camp in three months to uh, add some tweaks to the offense. You have you have several practices this week. Put, some, put five or six new things in and, and pull five or six things out that everyone knows are coming and aren't working. Yeah. Just start there. Just remember, though, they're doing it, at least beginning of the week, they're doing it with a different quarterback. JT's not going to be uh, yeah. full you know, to start this week. I don't know when he would be fully cleared. If he were, it could be later in the week. But to begin the week, you're doing it with Jack Sears. And, and, and Clay said that they're going to have a simplified offensive game plan for for either guy, either because it will be Jack's first start or because JT would have not practiced much during the week. So right. maybe we're, we're asking too much to hope for change this week in that regard. But <laughs> it's, it's got to come at some point. Yeah, I don't think the change is going to be in the productivity. But I think there will be a change eventually, sure. Well, that was a good spirited debate, Adam. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I do uh, have a plane to catch, though, so I can rejoin you in, in sunny Los Angeles. Okay. But uh, this was good. And if you haven't read Adam's column from Sunday, please take the time to read it. It's it's really well written. It's I mean, beyond just Swan's comments, which are interesting 
to read because they haven't been out there all season. It's a really, really well-written column that makes a good point, and uh, we'll have good stuff for you the rest of the week. Again, the promo code is USC60. Why? Because you get 60 free days to enjoy all our premium content our in-depth recruiting and team coverage, our message board, all the breaking news that Adam brings. Uh, so sign up and give it a try. You really can't lose risk-free. Uh, give it a shot. Then we'll catch you We'll catch you midweek with a podcast and then have Ask the Expert on Friday with Yogi Roth. All right, Ryan. Have a good flight. I'll see you soon. We'll, we'll do. Thanks. Thanks.